I was listening to that song and I was thinking of all of the uh, the action that was going on, all of the the verbs there, the the idea that we we were bringing an offering to God, and then uh, I was thinking about the message this morning, and my mind kind of strayed a little bit into. Uh, we're bringing this stuff to God, you know, in a very concrete, sort of literal way. We we, we pass the plate later in the service, and we give financially, we give an offering. Um, does God really need that? And everybody on the finance team just went, "Stop! Stop him!" <laughs> but but you think about all the things that God has, and and you know, does he does he need the, the nickels and the quarters and the and the dollars and the or we think about bringing our offering of worship, and, and does, does, does my voice really need to be a part of this choir that there's so many people that are, that, are, that are better at it than I am? And then as I'm sitting there thinking about it, you know, really it's not, it's not so much about what I bring or what I sing as it is about that I bring and that I sing. Does that make sense? Um, God has such a love and a passion for us and a partnership with us that, that it, it isn't so much about the what as it is that, that we're involved. And, uh, and it just sort of struck me as, as we were singing that song because that's, that's really sort of at the heart of where I want to end up at this morning. Did you take Pastor Steve's advice from last Sunday this past week? Do you remember Pastor Steve's advice from last Sunday for this past week? It was, it was pretty simple. Uh, you could have whatever you wanted to on your plate, as high as you wanted your plate to be, and you didn't have to worry about it. However many, he had calorie quotes, however many there were, didn't matter, you could do whatever you wanted to do. Do you remember the advice? How many of you participated? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How many of you are planning on participating again this afternoon at lunch? Yeah, see, that's the part you're not supposed to do, that, the second part. Uh, Thursday, we stayed home. And enjoyed, enjoyed home. We didn't have any turkey on Thursday. Uh, in fact, I, I made some chicken on, on the grill, but there was no turkey, but there was a bird involved, so I think it counts. Um, we d- didn't see extended family on Thursday. We waited till Friday to go do that. Now, on Thursday, I did want to have pumpkin pie. My wife assured me that when we got to her parents' house, there would be pumpkin pie. And there was a pie that looked sort of like pumpkin, but it was a little bit lighter. And as I got closer to it, I could tell it wasn't pumpkin. She was trying to pull a fast one. It's one of those sweet potato things. They're trying to sneak in all that healthy stuff on you. And, uh, and so we, we talked about it for a little while. Turns out um, Sherry's grandmother is not allowed to have pumpkin but loves pumpkin and does not like sweet potato pie. And if you call it pumpkin pie, she will eat it anyway and enjoy it. <laughs> so I was forced to call sweet potato pie pumpkin pie for the entire holiday while all inside knew that it was not going to be pumpkin and was in fact something else. But Granny was happy, and it all worked out well. Saturday, we went to my side of the family, and since they figured everybody had been turkeyed out, we had seafood Thanksgiving, which was really good. Uh, still no pumpkin pie involved, but, but seafood, and it was very nice. And, and sitting around both of those tables, looking at people, um, just the, the idea of, of being thankful just struck me in, in a different way than, than it has in other years. And I started thinking about all, all of the things that, that God has done and, and how good God has been, e- even in circumstances that were, were challenging circumstances, even in times when things 
were difficult, now that there's a little distance between me and those times, you, you can look at them and, and see how God was moving. Did you guys have some history like that? Where at the time you thought there's, there's just no way, it's, it's too much. And as there's some time involved, you look back and go, okay, I can see how God was orchestrating that. And I just remember sitting there at the table being thankful for all of the stuff that, that God has done over and beyond anything clearly I deserve or, or any, of us, any of us deserve. I remember taking a moment and looking around the table at, uh, at new faces. Any of you guys had new faces at, at your family gathering this year? A few new faces here and there. No, not not your face with just new stuff on it. Just a new new person is what I'm what I'm shooting at. Um, we we had a few new faces uh, this year. My my oldest daughter got married, so there was a new face at Thanksgiving. And it turns out he likes whatever I like. <laughs> yeah, I think there's an ulterior motive there. But uh, but I was I was glad to have some some new faces at the table and. And this morning, I thought one way we could celebrate uh, new faces is we, we have a, a family this morning. The, the Youngs are here, and uh, they were not able to uh, participate in our, our parent dedication a couple of weeks ago because their family is, is from way up north, and my wife's family is from way up north, and I, and I, and, and I can relate. And so, uh, <laughs> so I've asked them to come this morning and just kind of represent new faces for us, and this is Hudson Phillip. Young, and they're they're going to come, and uh, and we're going to partner with them this year. We're going to be thankful for new lives in our church, and uh, and we're going to take an opportunity to, if I can locate a microphone, you can tell I mapped this out really well. And uh, come on, come on up this way. You didn't think you were going to get away with that, did you? <laughs> come on up and let people see you. This is Hudson Philip Young, and, uh, and Brandon, Dad, is, uh, we're going to let you speak over him, and we're going to pray over these folks, and we're just going to be excited about what God's going to do in the new faces that were at the table this year. We dedicate our son, Hudson Philip Young, to Jesus Christ. We promise to raise him according to God's word. We will instill in him the importance of being in God's word, as well as having a love for others as Jesus had for us. In raising our son, 2 Timothy 3, 14, 15 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. In, in this little packet, there's a, there's a gift certificate. Um, not a gift certificate. It's just a certificate, and uh, which, in fact, is a gift. Um, there's a, I've got Christmas on the brain already. Uh, there's a Bible for Hudson. There's a there's a letter from Pastor Steve to be opened when you make your decision for the Lord, and uh, he'll have some wisdom for you in there. Does that sound good? Okay, I thought that sounded good, so I'm gonna pass that to Dad. And uh, we want to take a moment and and pray for them. And if at your house this year there were some new faces at the table. Uh, you you join in, in praying for those new faces because God has great plans for them, and uh, and and Hudson has a namesake in in Hudson Taylor who was uh, very impactful for the kingdom, and I'm just going to pray that that he gets a good dose of some of his predecessors. Father, thank you for uh, for family and for how so very good you are to us, uh, the, the miracle of new life, and God, I pray for the youngs. 
I pray that, that, that they would be amazing examples in Hudson's life and that we as a church would, would rally around them in times of challenge and difficulty uh, to be shoulders to lean on, to be resources for them. And God, that as, as Hudson uh, learns more and more about you, that, uh, that you would take uh, charge in his life, that, that like the impact of Hudson Taylor and others that have come before him have had, God, that you would, would give him uh, that kind of dose of passion for reaching people for you. Uh, Father, thank you for opportunity that lays in front of him. So many options, so many choices, so many paths, and, and yet you have a plan. And so, God, help us to walk in lockstep with you and, and seek that plan. And, God, we so look forward to seeing what you're going to do uh, in the future. And, Father, as, as, as Brandon is responsible uh, for, for his upbringing, God, I pray that you would instill in him a passion for seeking you first and for uh, being a part of, of, of Hudson's life, for leading the family, and uh, that he would one day stand in front of you and also hear, well done. And, and the things that you've accomplished. God, thank you for this couple and, uh, and their, their being here for their extended family that's come a long way for today and for other faces that were new around tables this week, God. We pray that, that our impact, our influence in their lives would be such a positive thing that it would reflect you. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, God. So, so there were those moments at the table, yes, when... Uh, when there were new faces, and, and it was great. And, and then I, I kind of looked around the table again, and I thought, you know, there's a few seats at our table that, that last year were filled with people who aren't here this year. That, that last year they were present and they were with us, but this, this year they're having a, a different kind of, of Thanksgiving. They're, they're having a Thanksgiving in, in God's presence, and they're, they're absent from my table, but, but present there. And while it's sad for me, it's, it was exciting, and we're going to celebrate the lives of those folks with a memorial service in a few weeks, and, and I thought about them. And, you know, and then everybody, the, the food starts, and there's kind of a hush that falls in the house. It goes from being really loud to really quiet, except for, and you have that noise going on. But, but aside from that, it's, it's quiet in the house. Did you remember that? Did you guys experience that moment this week? Now, really quiet, and then, then as soon as the adults started eating, there were children coming back in wanting more of something that you hadn't had a first of yet, and, and so there was a few spats here and there, but, but essentially it was quiet, and then the first person in the room, whoever it was, pushes back from the table. And their arms went like this, and if nobody else moved in short order, their head was going to start to tilt a little bit, and, uh, and they were going to be gone. Well, at our house, that person pushed back from the table. There was a few other people that pushed back from the table. And then somebody said the inevitable phrase that happens at these family gatherings. Because we do not have enough silverware to accommodate everybody on multiple trips, someone says, keep your, someone says, keep your fork at our house. Unless we have gone to the dollar store and bought an ample supply of plastic cutlery, someone will tell you to keep your fork. And what that means is that's code, isn't it? That's code for what's getting ready to happen. There's going to be some good stuff coming shortly. It's at the table that you had to walk by when you came in that you saw several people had sampled, but nobody had really taken a significant amount of. Um, they were trying to figure out what they wanted because, you know, aunt so-and-so brings those brownie things that she makes, and 
Uncle so-and-so brings that thing he buys at Sam's, and so-and-so brings whatever it is. But all the good stuff is there, and somebody's told you to keep your fork. And most people, you know, lick whatever they've just been eating off of their fork so it's clean and good to go again and set it to the side. We, we have one uncle that sticks his fork in his pocket just so nobody else gets it, and um, who shall remain anonymous. But it's an interesting thing that happens. And then, then there's this quiet that sets in while people, and you can see it on their face, they're, they're contemplating, what am I going to get? They're, they're thinking about what, what's next, right? And so there's, there's quiet, and you may lose a few people, but everybody's got their fork. They know what's coming is good, but they're waiting to see what happens. Now, at your house, people may bring you dessert. That never happens at our house. You have to go get it yourself. And so you have to think about what it is you want. And as you head that direction, you, you're, you know it's your move. It's your turn to do whatever you're going to do. Are you just going to go ahead and increase the damage that you've already started? There's no point now. Might as well go for it. Are you going to sample a little bit of everything so nobody's upset to increase your odds of better Christmas presents? Or, you know, what... Or are you just going to pick your favorite, and it doesn't matter if it's the last piece, you're just taking it. But you have to decide what your mood's going to be. And I, I thought <laughs> it's a pretty good picture for, for this morning. Um, because this morning is really a lot like that. It's, it's kind of the dichotomy of waiting and, and praying and seeking and focusing and being still versus doing and being active and, and, and moving to the realm of, of accomplishing something. And... To come up with an illustration that sort of pictured that, what came to my mind initially was, was this game that I'm in the process of teaching my kids, the game of chess. And, and chess is essentially a long period of thinking that's interrupted by short, sporadic opportunities to move, right? And, and you have to do both for it to work. Um, so you've got a little clock, and you, the clock's on your side, and, and it's your turn to move. And so you think about it, and you focus on the board, and you look at it, and you think, nope, it's not checkers, it's chess again. And some, pe- some pieces move this way and then that way, and some pieces move other directions. And you, you look and you think, and if you think too long, it just becomes sitting. Eventually, you do have to pick something up and make a move, right? Or it's not a game. And, and in, in the scripture today, what we're going to see is... One of those opportunities where there's really a couple of different kinds of people in our world, and some of them are tremendous planners. They're thinkers. They consider. They, they map things out. They're, they're, they're uber planners, for lack of a better term. And, and their personality that God gave them is very suited for that. If you leave them alone, they will plan infinity. Not, nothing may ever actually happen, but it'll be well-planned. I'm related to a few of these folks. And they are great folks uh, in picking out a car. They would study what kind of car to get. What, which one gets the best mileage? Which one has consumer reports the best rating? Which, which one will require the least amount of maintenance over the next decade? Which, which one will last the longest, will retain the most value? Will How many are still on the same? All the things that you would consider in purchasing a car. And then when they finally reach a point where the opportunity has arisen for them to go to the dealership and get it, they may not still make that kind. Because it it has been a long process. Now, if you just got elbowed, you might be one of these people. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with them. We we have to have them because the other extreme is, is one of my favorite illustrations, one of my favorite stories ever. 
and, and I've used it before, but, but I'm going to use it again this morning. It's, it's Larry Walters is the other extreme. He's the ultimate doer without the planning and the preparation. In 1982, Larry Walters in July of that year made the news. And he made the news because he wanted to fly, but he didn't really map out how to go about it especially well. Rather than go through channels like, you know, flight school <laughs> and, uh, and working through, you know, the military or an airline or some other way to accomplish this goal, he decided he was just going to do it himself. And so his actions sort of took over prior to his planning, and he went out and bought 45 weather balloons. You look it up later, because I know a lot of you will check. He buys 45 weather balloons at the Army-Navy store, forges paperwork from the trucking company he works for, and purchases helium for said balloons. He goes home, he straps a lawn chair to the hood of his Jeep, and the balloons to the lawn chair. So far, so good. Goes in his house, he makes some sandwiches, has some sandwiches, a little cooler, and a pellet gun. And he goes outside, he sits in the lawn chair, and he cuts the rope. Now, I'm sure in his mind, the plan was, I'm going to float leisurely up, shoot a few balloons, and float leisurely down. Leisurely was not a part of what was about to happen. When Larry Walters cut the rope, he didn't leisurely go anywhere, but he shot up into the atmosphere and leveled off at 16,000 feet. And I don't know about you, but I'm not shooting anything at three miles above the earth. <laughs> he would eventually drop the pellet gun, but before he would drop the pellet gun, he would be spotted. Because during the day, the winds in California, where I'm sure you all realize this happened, blow inland, but as the night comes on, they blow toward the ocean. And the only thing between Larry Walters and the ocean at 16,000 feet was the airport. There were several planes that spotted Larry in the air, which is how we know how high he was. It is reported that, that some of them radioed the tower. And you can imagine the conversation between like a Pan Am pilot or TWA or Delta or somebody going, uh, Tower, there's a man up here. <laughs> well, we, we hope there were people in your plane. No, he's not in the plane. Where is he? He's in a lawn chair. <laughs> can you see it? He has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, so, anyway... Eventually, Larry starts to come down. They send an army helicopter to kind of help things out. He gets hung up in the power lines, and there's a 20-minute blackout in Long Beach, which is the only reason Larry was alive to tell his story, because as he stepped off of his hanging chair onto the ground, he would have been electrocuted otherwise, but because there was a power outage that he caused, he was able to get to the ground where they promptly arrested him for entering international airport airspace, whatever the proper terminology is. And then they ask him, Larry, why did you do this? <laughs> and Larry Walters said something to the effect of, because sometimes it's just not enough to sit in your chair. And what he's saying is, because I'm a doer. I don't have to plan it. I don't really have to think about it. I don't really have to consider the consequences. It's just time to do something. And we all know people like this, right? They're the ones that if the room gets quiet long enough, they will stand up and take charge. And they'll lead us. We don't know where we're going, but they'll lead us. And then there's the planners. And, and I want you to know this morning that God designed us to be like both of these, not in the extremes of them. If you are one of the extremes of them, find somebody who's on the other extreme so you can balance one another out. It would be good. Moses is about to learn some of this stuff. He's about to learn 
that, yes, you have to think. Yes, you have to plan. Yes, you have to prepare. But eventually, it's your move. And so in Exodus chapter 14 is where we're going to see this, this learning time for, for God's leader of his people take place. In Exodus 14, it's a really familiar story that, that most of you will know. God's people have been in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. And God is getting ready to remove them from Egypt in his own way. And he's chosen Moses as leader to do that. And he sent Moses as an individual to go to Pharaoh because of his connections with him historically to help convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses has watched God do everything up to this point. So Moses goes in and he tells Pharaoh, see, God's power, and this is what he wants done. He wants you to let my people go. And he drops his staff down and God turns his staff into a, into a snake. Moses really doesn't have a lot to do with it. He does have to pick it back up again. When he picks it back up again, God turns it back to a staff. Moses would go to Pharaoh a number of different times. He would talk about the plagues. If you don't let my people go, if you don't let God's people leave to go worship, God's going to send whatever it was, the various plagues that happened. And then God would be the one who would bring those plagues about and as Moses speaks about them. So, so Moses as an individual has learned to let God so after 400 years of, of comfort, of planning, of praying, of wishing, of hoping, all the stuff that God's people have been doing, Moses has come as a leader, but he's in the process of learning that he as an individual works in tandem with God, but God does the lion's share of the effort. And he may have thought how minimal his part was. He may have even thought, you know, my part is insignificant. It's not important that he would be mistaken. Now, though, as a leader of God's people, that same thought process of how unimportant my worship is and how unimportant my offering is and how insignificant of impact I have is going to change. And the first lesson is going to come really early. Um, I'm going to start reading in about verse 13 of chapter 14. But God's people have been granted permission to go and they have left. And they are camped by the Red Sea. And as they, as they are there and, and organizing and things are, are sorting out, they look up and they see Pharaoh's army coming over the hill, if you will. And they're coming down the hill. Pharaoh's not coming to wish them a fond farewell. It's not like the gathering at your house where everybody came outside to do the perfunctory wave at people as they leave. It wasn't one of those kind of moments. They, they were coming to, to recapture God's people to re-enslave. They were changing their mind from what happened. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. And here he comes with spears and swords and things of that nature. And God's people, as you can imagine, begin to panic. But Moses, who has learned up to this point that God takes care of a lot of things, um, in effect, I, I can almost see him look up at God and say, Okay, God, it's your move. It's your opportunity, Lord, to take care of what's about to happen. So in the middle of, of all of this panic and mayhem and everything that's going on, verse 13, Moses says to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will see again no more forever. Now, was that an encouraging statement to God's people? Well, there's really two ways that they could not see the Egyptians forever. You ever think about that? We always take it to the positive. 
<laughs> but I'm here to help you with that today. <laughs> yes, it could be that God was going to destroy all the Egyptians and they wouldn't see them again, but it could also just as likely and perhaps more likely be that since we're all going to be dead Israelites, we won't have to see those Egyptians again. Right? Now, you know from your experiences in life, because we always take things so positively when they happen, don't we? We always see the bright side. We always find the silver lining. We don't ever get depressed and down and can't see a way out. So surely when Moses said, you won't see these people again forever, you know all of God's people went, oh great, God's going to take care of this. Right? <laughs> probably not. I think there were probably a few of them there that went, oh great, we are going to die here at the beach, camped by the Red Sea, waiting on, this is crazy, we've been comfortable, everything was fine. So to clarify... Moses adds the following verse. In verse 14, he says, The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The Lord will fight for you while you uh, uh, stand your ground, while you keep your peace. Um, essentially saying, God's going to take care of it. You don't have to do a thing. Now that's the stuff that we write plaques about in church, right? The Lord will fight for you. You Keep your peace. You stand your ground. You hold your own. You don't have to do anything. God will take care of it. It's the things that we put on T-shirts. It's the stuff we make Facebook posts about. God's going to take care of this. God's going to handle it. God's going to be in charge. He's going to solve the problem. We, we love that. It resonates with us. For those of you who are more inclined to be thinkers and planners, this is great. God's going to handle it. I'll see how he handles it, and we'll, we'll go from there. For those of you who are doers, this is wonderful because God's going to take care of it. I'm going to get to watch. He's going to do something. And then God comes along in verse 15. And this is the verse that I've read over a number of different times. But in seeing it in this context, kind of jumped out at me. God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Now, if you were standing there, can, can you imagine as a leader... What, what that moment just felt like. You just stood up in front of a huge group and explained what God was getting ready to do. And then God looked down at you and went, why are you asking me about this? Can you imagine it? It would be like if you arrived for services this morning, walked into your Sunday school class, and they said, you know what, we're so glad you're here. We can't wait to have the breakfast you brought. Or if I caught you in the hallway and said, you know, we're really looking forward to you sharing this morning. It's only about a 10-minute testimony we need you to do. It's that kind of moment. Have you had some of those experiences where you walked in and you either didn't know or forgot? It's kind of like that where Moses has said, God will fight for you. You won't have to do anything. You can keep silent. And then God says, why are you crying out to me? Because um, you're God. <laughs> and, uh, and then God continues. He says, Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. That little phrase there, go forward, it means to, to move on. Tell them to move on. Tell them to break camp. Tell them to, to pull out, to pull up, to set out, to, to journey. Tell them to move. Now their options for moving are pretty limited at this point. They have Pharaoh's army on one side. They're camped on the beach. There's the sea on the other side. So once again, there's a dilemma. Okay, does God want us to walk out into the water where many of us can't swim and there are potentially carnivorous fish and all sorts of other things that we're not very excited about? Or 
Does he want us to walk the other way, which we can accomplish probably better on land, and yet there are sharp things approaching by angry people? There's, there's not a really good way to go. But see, Moses has said, God, it's your move. And God has essentially looked at Moses and said, yes, it is. I'm going to handle it, but it's your move. That partnership comes into play. I think that God loves us so much that, that, that he wants our love for him to be, be our choice. So, so we have this option. And, and so he wants to be involved in our efforts, but, but it, it's, it's in tandem. It's, it's him and. Yes, God could do it himself. Yes, God could solve it without us. Yes, our input in, in, in the physical realm is not necessarily that significant, but in the spiritual realm is a whole different ballgame. And when we move, God moves, and we see some amazing thing happen. And, and, and you don't have to really think about it very long. You think about uh, other places. There's, there's precedents all over Scripture for it. Abraham has to raise the knife on his son Isaac before he sees the ram caught in the thicket. Abraham, I'm sure, prays on his way up the mountain. I'm sure that he is, is pondering what to do, but he, he follows God's direction. He raises the knife. He acts, and as he acts, God acts, and there's the ram. The priest had to get their feet wet in the Jordan before the water would dry up. They acted, God acted, and they crossed with the Ark of the Covenant on, on dry land. Noah had to build an ark. He didn't just find it. Again, it's as if God said, no, it's, it's your move. David had to face a giant before he saw his defeat. Our, our time is really the same way. I sat in the front room of our home when I was growing up. You know, the room that nobody's allowed to go into, that they don't build in houses anymore, that, that special furniture you can't sit on. I had to sit in that room and talk with our pastor about what God was doing in my life. And in that moment, you could almost hear God say, okay, well, it's, it's your move. It's your opportunity to come into a relationship with me. And then we've been in tandem since then. I sat uh, at Camp McCall up in the chapel. Those of you that have been there, you know the chapel is like 50 miles from camp up this giant hill. And the older you get, they move it shorter down the hill. Uh, but as a child, it's forever away. And uh, in reality, it's not that far, but I remember sitting in chapel on the wooden bench and having a guy do an altar call that I'd never heard before where he says, some of you this morning or this evening are going to be coming uh, to rededicate your lives. You're already believers, and, and it's, it's your move. It's your opportunity to do that. Some of you are going to be coming to begin a relationship with God, and, and God is here waiting for you, and, and, and it's your move. And others of you are going to commit to full-time Christian service. I'd never heard that phrase before. But then when he said, and, and it's your move, I, I could do anything but come to the front and commit to move when God says move and do what God says do until God says it's time to retire. It was an incredible moment. In the last few months, Sherry and I and, and the kids have been praying about what God would have us do. And I, I again hear God saying, thank you for planning. Thank you for praying. Thank you for your focus, but it's, it's your move. I have something I want you to do. And so we're going to be working on trying to accomplish that. But, but the idea is that God speaks and he essentially says, yes, I'm going to do my part, but it's, it's your move. And then 
until you retire. Now, understand the scriptural concept of retirement is very different than our concept of retirement. I've been paying into retirement since I was in my 20s. Um, and I look at it today, and it feels like it really hasn't changed that much. <laughs> it's very disappointing. I know that it's growing, but, but my idea is at a certain point, I won't have to do whatever it is I'm doing. I won't have to function and work for money, and I can retire. My dad's idea of retirement was I'm going to put in enough time at the company and stop, and now I can stay home and do whatever I want to do. But understand, Christian retirement is the best retirement there is. Because it's where? It's in heaven, and you don't have to worry about it being impacted by the market. It's not impacted by your property value. It won't be taxed. Woo! Now, the problem is, you don't get it until you're dead. So the concept that we have of retirement is not scriptural. It's not scriptural. In the Bible, you didn't retire. You went to heaven. So here's my thing. If you're still here, you are not retired. And God may still be saying to you, it's, it's your move. It's your opportunity to accomplish something because he still has you here. If he was ready for you to retire, you'd be home. But you're not. So he is either finalizing the preparations for said location or he's got a plan for you. Whatever it might be. You think about Jesus. Jesus looks at the paralytic and he says, get up. He doesn't say, you're healed and let me get you up. He tells him to get up. It was his opportunity. It was the paralytic's move. It was his chance to see the miracle. It was... The, the, the blind people that Jesus put mud and things on their eyes and sent them to go wash. It was, it, was, it was their move. There's a correlation between his actions, our actions, and the partnership between all of those. That's all I've been praying about. What, what have I, as an individual, been, been just begging God for and been, been seeking from God and been praying that God would do that maybe... Maybe God is saying, yes, but it's your move. What, what, what have we as a family been praying about that, that God essentially has answered that way? Or what, what have we as a church been seeking God's face for? That, that God has prepared for the miracle, but it's our, it's our move. It's our time. It's our opportunity for activity. I don't know what those things would be. So I, I wanted to, this morning, to, to bring you a present. So I hope that you got um, a little chess piece on, on your way in. If not, there's, there's some pink baskets at the doors on your way out. But what I want you to do is take this and put it wherever you spend time with God with. Wherever that is. So if you, you know, on your bedside night table, if that's where you read, if that's where you focus on the Lord, then stick it there. If, if you pray in your car, then put it there. But pray with your eyes open, please. There's enough lunatics out there already. If, if you pray in, in a closet at your house, then put it there. Wherever it is. And as you pray, on occasion when God brings it to your mind and you look at that little piece and you think, okay, is it my move or is it his move? If God speaks to you and says, it's your move, then I want to pray that you have the courage to do whatever it is he's asked you to do. Make sense? Have the courage like Moses to tell the people to move forward, and they do, and they see miraculous things happen. Have the courage to, uh, if God's movement for you is just to give it to him, to do that. 
Whatever it is. And I want to pray for you this morning because some of you have things that God has been telling you. It's your move and it's your time and this is what you need to do. And you already know what they are. But you're a little timid like I am and maybe haven't actually done them yet. And I want to pray that you have the opportunity to commit to do them this morning. Whatever that means for you. Whether that's at the front, whether that's where you sit or wherever. But, but I want to pray for you. And, and I want you to take those and, and place them accordingly. And, and then we're going to sing about walking by faith. Because walking involves our doing. So let's, let's pray together and then you move accordingly however God leads you. Father, I, I, I thank you for this morning, for this season. And it has been an, an incredible Thanksgiving in, in the Smith extended family. I thank you for the way that you have looked after us, for your, your passion for us, and, and how, how you have done so many things. Thank you for new faces that were at our table and, and for empty chairs that are now with you. And God, I pray that when you come to us and say, it's your move, Lord, that we, we, would, we would hear you, we would see what that was, and we would follow through and do whatever. And God, I pray for our church family here, that they would hear you say that, and their willingness to move would kick in. And I pray for families here that have been praying for lost relatives. And you might be telling them it's your turn to write a card. It's your turn to make a phone call. Or whatever it is, but they would be willing to do it. Pray for Sunday school classes that have been playing, praying about how to grow and how to reach out. And that, that you would answer them. And they would find the courage to do it. And God, I pray for the individual that's sitting here thinking, you know, I, I don't really have a relationship with God. That heart that you're tugging on, I pray this morning that that, that little piece would be a reminder maybe today's their day for it to be their move and for them to come to an altar like I did. God, thank you for loving us enough to involve us and that our part is significant. So God, I pray for the encouragement to move to see the miracle and I pray in the name of Jesus, the only name worth praying in. Amen. Would you, would you stand and Sing with us and just move according to however God leads you this morning.